Um, so here in Matthew 5, if you were with us prior to um, Advent, you know that we, we spent several weeks walking through the Beatitudes, and that, that section, the Beatitudes, launches uh, the, the most famous and the best sermon ever preached uh, by the best preacher ever, which is Jesus. And, and Jesus preaches this Sermon on the Mount. Um, in this context, it's, it's, it's on this, this mountain, right? Hence the name. And uh, his disciples are, are gathered near him. And then there's crowds out beyond him that can hear him as well. So he's talking to his disciples directly, but with the knowledge and with the intentionality that the greater you know, crowds that aren't yet disciples can, can hear him as well. And he's speaking to them, and it's, a, it's an amazing sermon. And we're going to spend the next um, quarter walking through, man, there's just, it's basically topical um, um, sermons, right? Because he's going to talk about everything from divorce to uh, anger to lust um, to revenge and, and all sorts of things in between. And we're going we're gonna to look through this. And Jesus is, is launching into this, um, this sermon where he's going to be teaching, hey, this is what the kingdom is about. But it started with the Beatitudes. And then we paused and we walked through Advent. We, we kind of went back to the beginning of, of Matthew. Um, and so as we transition back into this, this is actually the time of year, that, uh, beginning of January, we, we usually do uh, a vision and mission series where we, we, we take a few weeks and look at uh, what, what's, the, what's the reason for our church? Like, why does our church exist? What do, what do we hope to accomplish? Or what do we, rather, what do we hope God accomplishes through us? What are we being intentional about? Why did we start this thing? And so um, this year, we're, we're, we're not going to title it that, but honestly, uh, it, it would be difficult to capture a more... Um, intentional or a, a better picture of, of what we're called to be as a church than this passage right here. As Jesus has talked about the Beatitudes and then he looks at his disciples and says, hey, you're the salt and the light of the world. And that's, that's it, really. That is what our heart should be, our hope should be that the Lord uh, uses us as his people um, to be the salt and light in, in this world. And so as, as you may have heard me say before, uh, man, I grew up in, in South Illinois. I grew up, um, I, I didn't come start going to church. I kind of mentioned uh, last week, but, uh, you know, some, a couple of gentlemen just knocked on our door whenever I was a kid and invited us to Bible school. And my mom, for my mom that was going back to church, she was raised in it. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I you know, went to little country churches, was saved in one, called into ministry in one, served in a, in a larger church as a youth pastor. So I've been around South Illinois and, and church culture for a long time. And when I was uh, I, I took a job as a youth pastor when I was 19, and I got increasingly frustrated at the, the church. And not just the church that I was in, but churches in general. I just got frustrated because uh, my, wife, my wife will attest to this. I don't do well with the status quo. Like, it drives me nuts. If there's huge problems, like if there's gaping problems and systems and, and people are suffering, and, and there's people that could do something about it and we don't, it makes my, like it drives me nuts. And this plays out in a number of different ways. Some are funny. Like I go to little restaurants and I'm like, ah, oh, I could run this better, right? Um, and, and part of that's just my arrogance from, like I've worked at Aldi for several years and they're just all about efficiency. And so when I just see people like... I tried to give my kids McDonald's the other day. They had me pull up. This was in Cincinnati, not here. They had me pull up um, and wait. I was waiting on 20-piece nuggets, like, because I got a big family. Uh, that was in addition to the 10 I'd already got. But anyway, um, and, and I sat there for like 10 minutes. And I was like, I'm going to go back in. Like, and I was like, hey, did y'all forget about me? You know, I wasn't being a jerk. Did y'all forget about me? Oh, well, I didn't, but... They must have. And there's like a guy, a gal at the window, and she's talking to another gal, and then there's, a, there's one at the counter, and they're just like, and I'm like, 
okay, I would have a lot of grace here because I know people are showing up for work. Like I've been more gracious than usual lately, but y'all are just standing here and it drives me nuts. Anyway, food trucks, I love them, but sometimes I'm like, y'all need a better system. Let me just consult for you, right? Um, and, and so like, I just, that's how my mind works. But it, it also goes in like we got into foster care and I see how broken the system is. And part of me is like, man, I want to like, run for office and fix this mess, right? And I, I see our state and unbalanced budget. I'm like, ah, let me handle that. I, I couldn't, I don't know, you know, it's more complex, but that's just how I work. Like I wanna fix stuff, especially when there's just big broken problems. Like it's just how I'm kind of wired. And so when, when we left, when I was a, a youth pastor here in Southern Illinois, like I was getting increasingly frustrated that I'm seeing a world falling apart and people going to hell and churches are on every stinking corner and sometimes full of people that don't seem to give a rip and aren't engaging at all with the mission that Jesus has given us. And it was driving me nuts that we're just playing this game of coming to church and fussing about carpet color and fussing about hymnals or projections and you know songs and whatever. And meanwhile, I'm like, listen, if we believe what this says, then people are going to hell. And we're in here fighting about this nonsense. It just drove me nuts. And so I was like, I got to get out of here. So, so that's what led me to seek out the journey. I was like, I, I got to do something. To, like, and, and I'd heard about this church that was in St. Louis. And, you know, Darren was from Marion and planted this church that preached the Bible and was trying to reach people. And I was like, that, that's what I want. I want to do that. Like, they're doing that. I want to go be a part of that. And I called them. And they're like, hey, we don't really have a place for you. I was like, I don't care. I'm just coming. I'll work somewhere else. I just need to be a part of a church like that. And that's what led me to the journey. And as soon as I got there, like week two, I met Darren. And he was like, hey, we're thinking about doing a church down in Marion someday. Would you want to be a part of that? I was like, no, that place drives me nuts. I don't want to go back to Southern Illinois, right? That was just my initial reaction. I left there on purpose. Um, but over time, what I began to see is like, no, that, that's actually, uh, I love Southern Illinois. And I love the people there. And I love the, the community and the culture there. Um, I was frustrated with some of the churches. Now, I was young and arrogant, and I'd made a gross judgment about all churches that was not fair, okay? So I just need to say that. It wasn't, not every church was not caring about the community. I just need you to know that. But in my young, arrogant mind, that was true. Um, and over time, it became a, a, an actual, um, just a vision and a, and a heart. Like, yeah, I'd love to be a, a part of a church that is still preaching the Bible and trying to reach people in the area that we love. And so um, we, we came back and were able to kind of help start the journey to Illinois, which uh, nine and a half years old now, and, or a little over nine years old, and, and, and then came on as pastor about five years ago. But from the beginning, I, I've been saying, though, that we, like, I don't want this to be a church that is just trying to reach the already reached people in our community. Right, because sometimes that's the games that churches play. Like we just want to reach the market. Like we want to get the majority of the market share to come to our church. Right? Like we want to have the coolest music and the and the you know the the best pastor and, and you know funniest and best service and building and all of these attractions, so that Christians that are already inclined to want to come to church will end up at our space. And and I'm not you know some of you are like man I'm just visiting here from another church. I'm sorry Jordan. Like no, we're we're glad you're here. Right, But our target, like what we should be aiming for, is there's a whole bunch of unreached and suffering and broken people out there that Jesus has called us to be the salt and light to. And, and that's what we need to exist for. So I don't want to just be one, other, one church on the buffet of churches that existing Christians can come and pick from until they're tired of you know, what we're doing here and they'll go down the road. Like, I'm not in for that game. That's not, like, if that's what we're doing, like, I'm out. But if we're here because, hey, the world is broken and it's suffering. 
and people need Jesus, and we're here to reach them, then I'm all in. All in. I'll give my life to that. And that's what we've tried to do. But man, it gets hard. And it's hard to keep that vision. It's hard to keep that going. And, and so as I see a passage like this, Jesus looks at his disciples and, 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 he, and he tells them, it's, it's crazy. The, the, the first implication we see from this is um, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The first implication is a negative. We actually see that Jesus is saying something not just about his disciples, but about the world. Okay, because what we're going to see, the function of salt particularly for them. Now, it's lost on us a little bit. Salt's mostly for flavoring, and that was certainly a, a function for them, but we have these things called refrigerators, and so we don't get the big idea that Jesus is talking about, because what he's really talking about when he says you're the salt of the, of the earth is, is preventing decay, preventing rot, right? Like a piece of meat is going to go bad if you don't get it in the fridge, or in their day, if you don't get some salt in it, right? So they, they were not able to trade, uh, you know, food the way that, that you know, they really could until salt was discovered. Like, hey, we can preserve this thing and it will last, right? We're not, we're not you know, so dependent upon these seasonal things and, and we can trade, it can travel, it can be shipped. And, and so salt began to transform. And, and so for them, it's a hugely valuable, it's, it's cheap, it's common, but it's hugely valuable resource that allows their, their resources to be preserved and to not rot and decay. And so the first thing that, that we see um, is, is, hey, Jesus is making an implication that the world is rotting and decaying, like that that is the natural state of things, like left untouched, right, without, without um, the intervention from the Lord, this thing is going to fall apart. It, it's, it's not getting better. It's not going to, to um, progress, you know, and, and that's the lie that, that you know, different um, enlightenment pursuits have been believing for years that if we just get more knowledge in front of men, right? right? And, and if you take away the gospel and you just look at the way that they would be, many secular you know, philosophers and, and different people would be trying to explain the world and scientists saying, okay, well, we've evolved from you know, these unintelligent life sources up to this place where now we have intelligent life and now we're actually using our brain. And so if we just get more knowledge in front of these, these you know, intelligent beings, then they'll apply it and things will get better. But we've seen time and time again, that's just not the case, right? In fact, it, it, it's quite true, it's proven the other way. Like it's not just a matter of more knowledge and things will get, get better. We, we need something different. The world is decaying. The world is, is going to rot away on its own. So, so that's the first implication. And then light has the same. Right? If, we're, if their light is needed, it's implying that the world is a dark place. It, that, that there is darkness, even in the most enlightened, you know, scientifically understanding all the mechanics and different things. That, that when, you, when it boils down to the meaning of life, when it boils down to what is this about, there is darkness without the gospel. There's darkness. And, and we see this over and over again where people find themselves in despair, even though they've got loads of money, loads of resources, and loads of what the world would say they need, they're still in despair. Why? Because the world is a dark place without the gospel. So Jesus says, hey, this is the kingdom, right? Matthew, one of Matthew's focuses in the book is that the kingdom of God is at hand, right? We talked about how the Sermon on the Mount is sandwiched between these declarations of Jesus saying the kingdom of God is here. And these proofs from him by healing people, doing miracles, saying, okay, not only is he just saying the kingdom of God, but he's bringing it and he's displaying his authority to be the king of the kingdom of God. So 
Right before it starts in, in Matthew 5, the end of 4, talks about the kingdom of God. At the end, Matthew 9, talks about the kingdom of God is at hand. And sandwiched in between is this sermon about this is what the kingdom of God is like. And so Jesus is saying, hey, this world needs light because it's dark. And Jesus, we just celebrated, is that light. Amen? The light has come. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Amen? So we just celebrated in Christmas. And so now he's going to say, and he says, I am that light. And all who walk with me won't walk in darkness. They will see the truth, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Like all of this is, is Jesus is, is bringing this to, to culminate on himself. But now he's going to turn it from him being the light, and he's going to look at his disciples and say, you are the light as well. So that's, that's us, that's you. So that's the first thing is the world is in need, okay? We should need to make note of that. This is not like a place that's doing okay and, you know, we can just do better with Jesus. No, without this, it's going to fall apart. So that's the first thing we note. The second is we see just the, the nature of what he's saying here. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. He doesn't say, hey, you really should be, does he? He doesn't say you should try to be. This is, the, the Greek here, the, the, the tense is like, no, this is, this is how it is. This is a, a definite statement of, no, you are. Okay, so he's saying, Gee, and you've got to think about who's saying this. This is the creator of the world. He made all of this. Made all of us. He knows how things are supposed to work. He knows what's broken. He knows where it's headed. And he looks at his disciples and he says, hey, I've got a plan. And in the end, I'm going to redeem and make all this new. But that's at the end. In the meantime, we're going to declare salvation to any who would come. And we're going to open up the gates of heaven to all who would trust in the name of Jesus for salvation. And that message is going to go from just the Jews out into all the world. And that's going to take time. And in the meantime, y'all are going to be the preservatives that keep this thing from rotting completely, that keeps this thing from falling completely apart. And you're going to be the light that sets up in darkness that shows people the way. This is, this is what he says to his disciples. And now, now, they are the light. Now, that's what he says. Now, think about who he's saying it to. Think about it. Did he gather up the rulers of the day? Did he gather up the, the influencers and the and the and the the the, the you know the council members and the, the politicians and the, the rich people with the with the resources? No, no. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the disciples. Well, who are they? Well, there's some fishermen in there. There's some tax collectors in there. There's there's, there's a lot of ordinary in there. In fact, even less than ordinary. These are not people of of political or social or economic consequence. These are not people that you, you can, you know, pull, you know, like you might pull together some movers and shakers of the community and say, hey, we really need to do this for our community, and they're going to throw money at it, they're going to throw influence at it, and we can get some things done. This is not who Jesus chooses to talk to. He's looking at these ordinary, struggling people. And he says, hey, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. This is a, an incredible statement. I don't, I don't know what narrative you have believed about yourself, but I increasingly realize, I am increasingly realizing how much our view of ourselves informs how we live our life. And so many of us have been 
convinced that we don't matter. That we live our life in such a way that, A, we're either just trying to prove that we do, right? If we can earn enough money or, or get enough status or look good enough or whatever, then the world will think that we matter and then we'll, we will feel like we matter. Or we've just totally bought in and resolved that we actually don't matter, so we can't make a difference, and so we just do the best we can and survive however we can. Meanwhile, Jesus is looking at us and saying, hey, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus is saying, you matter because I chose you. You matter because I matter, and I am your God, and you are my people. That's the whole idea between, behind this, this kingdom. Jesus is saying, I've come to turn this thing around. I've come to revolutionize the world, not with a political and material kingdom, but rather with a spiritual and inside-out transformational kingdom. Everybody's thinking about change right now, right? It's, it's January 2nd. What's your New Year's resolution? How are you going to do better this year? How are you going to be better this year? Well, here's the deal. You, you, you actually don't need resolutions. What we need is resurrection, right? We are a people, and that's the beauty, the reason it matters that these are ordinary people, is it's not just the, the people who have risen to the top of society that Jesus looks at and go, hey, you can go change the world. No, these are ordinary people who have been transformed by an extraordinary gospel, an extraordinary good news, an extraordinary God who stepped down out of heaven, took on flesh, became a babe, right? became an infant, lived a life that you and I couldn't live, lived a perfect life. All of that so that he could end up on a cross where you and I belonged, underneath the wrath of God, paying for our sins, paying our debt, giving what was owed because of our rebellion. That's where we belong. And Jesus was born so that he could head there in our place. And then, we know we're past Christmas now. The next thing we're looking forward to is Easter, right? He doesn't stay in the grave, but, he, but he, he comes out of the grave victorious, and, and he's here to, to now revolutionize this thing. The kingdom is here. He's made a way for sinners like you and I to come and receive salvation and to be transformed from the inside out to become such a people that are blessed because we're poor in spirit, right? That we become so distinctly different from the world that we start to look like Matthew 5, 3 through 12 instead of... You know, how the world tells us we should look. The world tells us we need more money and influence and fame and, you know, whatever to be happy. And Jesus says, well, actually, the only way you're really going to be happy is to be poor in spirit and is to realize you've got nothing to offer a living and holy God. And, and the only way you're really going to be happy is to be a people who mourn at the state of, of this, this world and our sin that has brought us here. That's the only way you'll be really comforted. You've got to be meek. You've got to be a person who's hungry and thirsty, not for influence and fame and comfort, but rather for righteousness. The people who are really happy are people who are merciful, right? People who are really happy are people who are pure in heart. People who are really happy are the peacemakers. People who are really happy are the people who are persecuted for the sake of Jesus and righteousness. Beatitudes distinctly put us in a place where we are unique and different than the rest of the world. Not in an achievement sort of way, in a very ordinary and yet set-apart kind of way. So we have to understand this paradox that as Christians, we're, we're actually 
ordinary and, and we're not unlike the rest of the world. And however, at the same time, we are actually very much unlike the rest of the world. Why? Because we're set apart. We've been changed from the inside out and we begin to have an effect on the world now like salt has on the surface that it's applied to. Right? And we begin to be the people that preserve the world from full decay. And we do that in a few different ways, okay? So, so that we, we need to first know that, that that is what Jesus has made us to be, and there's an intentionality behind that. Like, the church isn't just about us. It's not just about coming together, and, you know, and, and having this cool service and feeling good about it. You know, he has a purpose for us as his kingdom in this world. He has a purpose that he's working toward, and we are his plan A in accomplishing that purpose, we are the salt. It's not that we should be. It's not that we're going to leave here and decide to be the salt and light. No, no. We are the salt and light. But Jesus says, but if salt loses its taste, how shall it be salt? How shall its saltiness be restored? In verse 13. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Okay, what, what was he talking about there? Well, again, just, just to understand the it's, it's pretty easy to, to, to kind of just get the, what, what Jesus is saying here doesn't need a lot of explanation or even illustration. When you, when you think about, um, we had a weird conversation over Christmas about, um, sorry, it's gross, uh, about the preservation of meat. One of my family members was telling a story about how they left some meat in the oven after a family gathering, and it was a few days until they realized it, and Stuff had formed, right? Living critters, little yucky, nasty things that will gross all of y'all, so we won't go there. But, but that happens because meat is not made to last out in the open, right? Out in the air. It will decay, right? Flies will lay their eggs on it, and things will happen, right? So salt has a, an effect on that to, you know, to keep that from happening, to neutralize the stuff that's in there. Meat has some stuff on it from the atmosphere, sometimes from just within, and, and the salt for them would have been something that gets pressed in there and neutralizes that nasty, neutralizes that stuff that's going to cause it to decay and to rot and allows it to be preserved, right? So our world has some junk on it, right? Our world has some, some things within it that are going to cause it to rot, cause it to decay. People are going to try to figure life out. People are going to try to do things their own way. People are going to destroy the family, right? People are going to go in a way that, that tears apart the nucleus that God put together with a mom and a dad and a family, right? They're going to they're destroy that. And so we as Christians, we live our lives in such a way that, no, no, we, we live the way that God has called us to live. And as we do that, we have a preserved effect on the world. Okay, so the world is, like Jesus is not surprised by today's chaos and nonsense. Okay, you need to know that. It's actually good news. Our Savior's not caught off guard by the moral just nonsense. Okay, he's not shocked by the laws that get passed in our state, in our country, and, and in the world. He's not shocked by the state of human affairs. Like, he, he, he knows that. That's why he sent Jesus, and that's why he's changed us, and that's why he's saying, you'll be the salt and the light. Okay, so, so often Satan wants to convince us that the Lord doesn't care about the brokenness of the world. Why hasn't he done anything about it? Well, if he really cared, why would he allow these bad things to happen to these kids or to these people or to this world? Like, where God's active. Like, this is how Satan, like, whispers to us. God doesn't really care about this world, or he'd do something about it. Well, the truth is, he has. 
He has. He got off of his throne. He came to this world. He lived the life we couldn't live. He came and brought us salvation. And now he sends us out as the something about it. He sends us to be the, the, the thing that changes the rest of the world. He sends us to be what preserves the brokenness. When we see suffering, when we see families being broken, when we see kids without homes, when we see addicts struggling with their lives, when we see these sorts of things that are so common. And let me go back to starting a church here in Southern Illinois. That's common. There's a lot of addiction. There's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of broken homes. There's a lot of single moms. Right? There's a lot of people struggling. There's a lot of generational, perpetual dysfunction and harm that happens in families and kids that keeps that cycle going. That, that is very real here in our area. And Jesus says, hey, yeah, I know, church, I see it. And I've sent you to be the thing that preserves it, okay? So we do that a couple different ways. First of all, we do that indirectly. Indirectly, when we raise our families by God's standards, when we teach our kids to live in, in the way of the Lord, right, we are indirectly going to keep feeding into society people that are going to serve it well and keep God's plan going and keep this thing from falling apart because we're going to make more of us, right? More of us. We raise kids to, in the fear of the Lord. We raise kids in, in the respect of, you know, the law and there's different things. We end up feeding society. We, we season it a little bit here and there. We push it into the different, our kids get scattered throughout. All of that has an indirect effect where we preserve society, okay? So there's an indirect action to, when, when we live as people that are generous, people that are Virtuous, here's the big idea. How you live matters, okay? Because when we live as a people who are sexually pure and we treat marriage the way that God meant for it to be treated, okay, between a man and a woman and any other sexual desire outside of that is repented of, right? And we pursue, we lay down our preferences, whether they be same-sex attraction, whether they be just wanting to, you know, shack up, live together, do our own thing, Right? Not get married, but still sleep together. All, like, no, no. We lay that down. We repent of that. And we live the way the Lord has told us to live. We don't have sexual relations outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. That's, that's, that's part of how we are supposed to live as Christians. When we do that, we're preserving the world. We're acting as a preservative. While it's trying actively, right? There's, it's actively trying to rot and more and more things. Like, we preserve it by just living that way, right? So there's an indirect preservation that happens when we do that. When we are generous, right? When we are people who don't hold on to our own resources, but rather decide to bless people that, that are in, in need. Like, here's the deal. There's a whole, there's a political just division and a whole lot of politics has to do with what do we do with People in need, right? Or should, should we liberal and the government give them more money or should we just let them figure it out? I'm oversimplifying. I don't even want to get into politics, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. If the church is the church, a lot of those questions don't even need to be asked. Okay? The church shows up and takes care of its communities the way that the Lord wants us to. The government's going to be out of a lot of jobs. Okay? Highly aspirational, yes. True? Yes. Okay? So when we are people who are generous with what God has blessed us with, we preserve the world. We see people in need. We have excess. We give it to them. Right? We do that for each other. 
Indirectly, we do that within the space right here, community. We love one another in such a way that our lives don't fall apart at the same rate that the rest of the world does. We love each other in such a way that we call out marriages that are struggling and we wrap around and we, we come together and we keep marriages from falling apart at the same rate the rest of the world does, right? We love one another in that way. And as we do that, as the church loves one another and preserves what God has put in place, we are preserving the world over, right? We are acting as a preservative that it's not all falling apart. God's people seem to be living in such a way that it's going well for them. As we love our enemies, right? As we, as we live out the beatitude, as, as we do those things, it's going to have social impact. Even if we don't, even if that's all we do, it's going to have social impact. However, it's beyond that, right? It's not just the preser preserving, because Jesus goes on to say, not only are you the salt of the earth, but you are the light of the world, right? So salt is kind of this preservative negative, you know, keeping things from going too far negative. The light is this positive thing, right? It's this, it's this you think about what light is, and, and particularly, they're not as used to electricity. They're not as used to, like, they were very familiar with darkness, right? When the sun goes down and, and you only got a little bit of oil to burn in the lamp, like they're going to experience co complete and total darkness in their homes and in their communities on a regular basis. Um, and so they're familiar with that. that what, what, is, what, what good is a city on a hill? Well, it, it provides this, 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 uh, this lighthouse effect, right? A lighthouse is this the source of light that can be seen from just wide areas around that says, hey, this, is, this is, tells me where I am, this orients me, this tells me what direction to go, right? So a city set on a hill, it, it provides this resource to a, a dark world without a way, right? Jesus says, listen, the, the, the way to life is narrow and few find it. Meaning the way to destruction is really wide and everybody's on it. But only a few find the, the narrow path that leads to life. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, you are to be the light that shows them where that path is. We, we are to be the light. You have received that light. Again, we are his people, right? People who walked in darkness have seen a great light. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Now he looks at us and says, now you are my image bearers. You're my reflectors, right? The sun and the moon are both sources of light for us. But guess what? Only one is a source in and of itself, right? Only one actually has that, that source. So this is not about us becoming, you know, look at me kind of thing. No, that we are simply reflecting our maker, right? He, we were made in his image. We're made to be his reflection to the rest of the world, to show them where the source of light comes. Like, that is what Jesus is looking at his people and saying, hey, you're going to be, you are, not you're going to be, you are the light of the world. So, yeah, we indirectly influence by raising our kids in the instruction and in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. By living our life in the fear of the Lord, right? Some of us just got to start there. Some of us have been too flippant. In fact, I think that's what Jesus is talking about, is saying, hey, if, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be restored? What's it good for? Nothing. Just throw it out. Right? Like, what's he talking about? He's like, well, I think he's talking about, hey, I mean, I think there's a couple implications. He's talking about a Jewish people who actually this was part of his intention way back in creating them as the Israelite nation. They were supposed to be this light to the world. They were supposed to be a place that told the rest of the world where they could find life. And they hadn't done that. They didn't seem to care about the rest of the world. 
Okay, so I think he's saying, hey, this was supposed to be my people. Y'all were supposed to have this effect on everybody, and you've lost your saltiness. You're, you're not living this way. You're not fearing me. You're not living in my ways, and the rest of the world is looking at you, and you're suffering under Rome and going, well, what, why would I want to be a Jew? Why would I want to serve the Jewish God? They're, 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 suffering, they're suffering even more than the rest of us, right? They're not prospering, and, and so Jesus is saying that. But I think he's also saying to people who claim to be a Christian, claim to be a part of the kingdom, but don't live as such. You know anybody like that? Right? This is the people that, well, I mean, just imagine getting, getting some food and, or, or like chips at a Mexican restaurant. Like, you're like, hey, did you, did you salt these already? And they say, yeah, and then you eat them and they're just really bland, right? And you're like, well, I mean, you, know, you said you did, but these this need more salt, right? And they're not. They're not, they're not salty. It's not, it's not good. I need that, that, that flavor, right? So this is the Christian. This is the person who, as you read their social media feed, right, you've seen thing after thing of, of them, you know, promoting a certain lifestyle, right, and promoting, the, you know, themselves and, you know, tearing down other people and just, just a full of hatred or, you know, just skin and I, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, they drop a Bible verse in there where they talk about how you should come to church with them or you talk about, they talk about how what the nation really needs is the Lord and you're like, wait a minute. You're like, you're claiming to be a Christian? That, didn't, that doesn't check out with what I know of you. It doesn't check out with what I've seen in the rest of your social media, right? Like the label says salt, but I'm not, I'm not tasting salt when I look at the rest of the deal, right? And Jesus is saying, listen, if, if you just, if you are the salt, but you're not actually salty, if you're claiming the title of Christian, but you're not actually living as a Christian, your life doesn't line up with the values of Jesus. You're not looking more and more like Jesus, then you're not doing the world any good and you're fooling yourself. And so when he says, how can it be restored again? He's not saying that you can't be saved. Jesus uses this, this, this language a lot when he talks about even a rich man. He says it's impossible for a rich man to enter into heaven, right? And then the disciples are like, well, wait, what? what? He goes, well, well, with God, nothing's impossible, Right? And so he's saying, hey, listen, you can't just get salty on your own. You can't just get good on your own in a, in a way like this is what we talked about with these beatitudes. These are not just things to go, you know what? I really need to work on being more poor in spirit. I really need to work on mourning more. Like that's not how this works. These are descriptions of the character of someone who's been changed by Jesus. The only way to become this is to be changed by Jesus. The only way to become these things is to be transformed from the inside out by Jesus. So what he's saying is you're not going to be good enough to just change the world and to do good and, and preserve it on your own. What you need to do is to look at Jesus. What you need to do is to be transformed by Jesus. And so how do we become salty? We look at Jesus and we're transformed by his glory and by his goodness. So if you're here and you've just been playing a game and you've claimed Christianity, but you've never actually been transformed. You've never actually seen your life changed and your values shifted and your, your sin being, uh, you know, just the power of it just lost on your life. Then and the invitation for you today is not to feel guilty that you need to try harder. The invitation for you today is to run to Jesus. The invitation is to allow him to change you from the inside out. Verse 14 talks about him. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, your light, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so here's, the, here's him pushing us out, saying, this is who you are, period. It's not that you get to try, not that you need to try to be the salt, you are the salt and the light. 
Okay? So, in a sense, he's saying, go be salty and go let your light shine. Okay? Because it's only effective if we take it, we take the salt out of the container and put it in the, the spaces that need preserving. Right? So here's what I could say. It's only effective when we leave this space gathered together and we scatter out into the world and live our lives following Jesus. That's when the kingdom of God advances. That's when it's effective. And then we come back together, right? Make sure we, we, uh, we get even more salty. Every time we look at Jesus, we get saltier, right? We come together, we sing to Jesus, we open his word. We, we're sharpened by, by that, right? And then we're sitting back out into our neighborhoods, into our workspaces, into the dark places of the world, into our ministries, into our missions to be the salt, right? And then he says, hey, you don't take a light. Nobody lights a light just to put it under a basket so nobody see it. That defeats the purpose of the light. You light a light, you're going to set it up on a lampstand so everybody in the room can benefit from that light. So church, we are here to be a light to the world. We're here to, to show the world who's walking in darkness, hey, Jesus is the way. So how do we do that? Well, as you read, like if, if you take the Bible in context and you, you look at, especially at the Gospels and how Jesus did this. It made the religious people, it drove them crazy because Jesus didn't just come to the churches and talk to them. They thought they were entitled to God's Savior. They thought they had been good enough that they were entitled to God's blessings. And they look out and they see this guy healing people who clearly brought their sin on themselves. They look out and they see Jesus spending time with people who have clearly chose, you know, Whatever mess they've been in, it's because, right, because of their bad decisions. And Jesus blows up their paradigm as he starts going into the, the rotting parts of the, of the culture and of the society. He starts finding the broken people, and he starts giving them life. You see, the religious people in this day, there, there, was, a, there was laws about ceremonial cleanliness. So they didn't want to get close to the people who were sick or people who were sinful, right? They're, they're, again, this whole idea of social distancing, quarantining, yeah, it's, it's new to us in some ways, but th this sort of thing, lepers had to socially isolate and quarantine for the rest of their life, and they had to yell as they were coming down the street, unclean, unclean, because they didn't want somebody who wasn't unclean, right, who was still clean, to get near them and catch the, the disease that they had. And, and there was some legitimacy to that. I'm not even saying that's wrong, but that's, that's what they were used to, right? But they, they treated sinners the same way, right? Adulterers and, and, and people who were caught in their sin or people that were sick were assumed that they got sick because they were sinful. So there was this divide in the society and, and people who were clean didn't want to get too close because they didn't want to catch what they had. And Jesus starts to, instead of staying away from those broken and, and suffering people, Jesus starts to move toward them. And Jesus even reaches out his hands and, and, and touches them instead of their filth coming onto him, his righteousness, his cleanliness, his wholeness, his healing goes into them. It begins to transform the world. That's what, that's what draws the crowds. That's what begins to sweep through and, and declare the kingdom is here. As Jesus starts healing lepers. Jesus starts calling people who hadn't been able to walk to pick up their bed and go on a walk, right? Jesus starts taking people who haven't been able to see and, and, and give them their sight. People who haven't been able to speak and gives them their words, right? Over and over again, Jesus begins to reverse the curse. Jesus begins to bring wholeness and healing to a broken world. He says, I'm the light of the world. You want to know where you can get life. You want to know where you can get salvation. It's in Jesus. His works make that clear. 
Now he says, hey, come follow me. And as you follow me, you're going to be the light of the world. As you follow me, you're going to be the light of the world, and people are going to see your good works, it says. Let your light shine before others so that the world may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This, this is what he's doing. Like, when he saves you, it, it is unto a purpose, right? You are not saved by your good works. You need to know that. It's not like you're going to get better, try harder, and then he'll save you, or you'll, you'll earn his favor. No, no. You're not saved by your good works. You're saved by faith alone, through grace alone. But we are saved unto good works. We have work to do, right? He, he's very clear that when we are saved, when we are brought into the kingdom, it is for a purpose. Peter has a similar um, emphasis in, second, or in Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 12. He says this to, to the church. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, meaning we're not trying to get our life out of this world. We're living for the next, right? We understand that Jesus is coming to make all this new, and that will be where we receive our reward. That will be where our hearts and souls are satisfied. So we live as sojourners and exiles. He says, I, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And here's the thing. Here's what he says. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He says, hey, you've been made a people. You want, you, once you weren't a people, and now you are a people. Once you hadn't received mercy, and now you have received mercy. If you're here and you've forgotten, if your saltiness is a little bit dull, it could be because you have forgot that you have received mercy. It could be that you've been around church so long that you forgot that you don't deserve to be in the presence of a living and holy God, that you don't deserve salvation. When we forget that we have been recipients of a great mercy, then we stop being a people of great mercy. We stop being a people who live out the Beatitudes. We stop being a people who care about others because we start to think that we're entitled. Peter says, hey, don't forget, you once were people who had no mercy, and now you've been shown mercy. So live your life in such a way that when the Gentiles see you, right, when, when they see you, and when they speak evil against you, which is in context with what we just saw in verses 11 and 12, the last time we preached out of the Sermon on the Mount. Meaning they will speak evil against us. They will persecute us. Living life righteously in pursuit of Jesus will cause people to persecute us, right? It will bring in this clash of the spiritual warfare. But he says, in those moments, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Not us, not you. You don't do this. We're going to look at that later in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not about getting a name for your, yourself, right? So that everybody knows how good you are. No, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's the point. Philippians 2, beautiful passage, one of my favorites, one of the, one of the more just poetic and theologically rich passages in the Scripture has this, this beautiful picture of, of Christ, his own humility, and, and 
Paul here calling us to be humble as Christ is humble. And then he, and, and he, and he talks about Christ descending from his throne and not counting equality with God as something to be grasped, but, but laying it down for the sake of us. And then he's telling us, hey, go and do likewise. And then he follows that up. The next section there, starting in verse 12, says lights in the world. Right? In verse 14, it's interesting. Listen to how he says this. Verse 14 of, of Philippians 2 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. We can just stop there, hang out for a while, right? I've said before, like the bar for being a witness has gotten really low. Just don't be a jerk, right? Just don't be a jerk, and the world's going to go, man, there's something different about that guy, that gal, right? Something, something, they, they seem to be happy in their life, right? So he says, don't do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, where? In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He's saying, hey, make sure you're living your life in such a way that you're doing like, work without grumbling, right? Live your life with as much peace as you can, right? Do the things of God without feeling like you have to, you know, let God know how blessed he is to have you on his team, right? Like, and when we do that, we're doing it because we are in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation and we are called to shine as lights in a dark world. So, we have to get, if we're going to be salty and we're going to be light and we're going to have the that God wants us to have on this world, we've got to get in to the dark and rotting places. Okay? You've got to take the salt out of the container put it where it needs to go. You gotta take the light out from underneath the basket and let it shine. So church, that's on, that's on us as individuals. Right? I can, I can introduce you to an addict who would love to have somebody help them walk back into sobriety, help them get their life back together. I can introduce you to some kids who their family has fallen apart and they don't have a home. They could use a home. And beyond that, I can introduce you to some families who have said yes to those kiddos and they could use your support to keep their family from falling apart while they try to love on those kiddos. Right? I, I could introduce you to, to, to person after person. Uh, go talk to City officials, right? Like, we got some city police in our midst. Like, they can introduce you to some people who are struggling. That's the kind of church I want to be. Salt and light. But it, it doesn't happen just whenever I do my job well and perform for y'all. And you can, like, listen, I think that's part of, like, losing its saltiness, too. I think Jesus would look at a lot of our churches that are just about entertainment, that are just about putting on a show, and would say, this ain't salt, this is not salty. This is not the point. If we don't take the gospel that has transformed us and live it out in our everyday lives, and then speak up and tell others, then we're not being his people. We're not following Jesus, because that's what he did. That's what he is doing, and he's using his church to accomplish it. I want to be a part of that. I want to be that kind of church. I want to see Southern Illinois brought into revival 
person after person, soul after soul, not through some big event where we just blow out this place with a great concert or whatever. Maybe, maybe that's not, I'm not saying it's wrong, but like, I really think that happens whenever each of us take our transformed lives and get around other people who need their lives transformed. We live with them. We love on them. Let's pray. God help us. We need it. We are not. We are not as mindful of the mercy that you have shown us. We are not as mindful of the, the impact that you've called us to make. We become dull often. We become self-absorbed often. So I pray that you would come and make yourself big, Jesus, in such a way that that prompts us and launches us into a life of being the salt and the light, into the life of, of seeing our our lives matter for your kingdom. Our lives be used for your namesake. Here in Southern Illinois, and, and we didn't even talk about the nations. We didn't even talk about the rest of the world. You have such a great purpose for us here as your church. And we are so short-sighted, so selfish so often. So rescue us from that by blowing up our perspective of who you are, King Jesus, and just how big your kingdom is. And allow us to play our part in it. We ask these things in your name, Lord. Amen.